Hello and welcome to the Mental Sweet Spot Podcast, where we share stories, tips, and strategies for coaching the mental game of softball. If you're the type of coach who believes culture is key, the mental game is a secret weapon, and our impact lies in coaching people, you are a sweet spotter. To learn more about our products, services, and how you can gain access to even more of our educational resources, head to mentalsweetspot.com. Now on to the show. Hey there, Coach. Thanks for joining us again. I'm Melanie Rushing, and I'll be joined shortly by Alicia Smith and a special guest to discuss developing a fierce competitor. Raise your hand with me if you agree with this statement. Athletes these days just don't seem to be the fierce competitors we had back in my day. (laughs) Yeah, I think most of us raised our hand on that one. I've had countless conversations with frustrated coaches saying, I can't want this more than they do. And while that's absolutely a thing right now, and I'm sure there are many reasons why this is, the good news is we can develop that competitive fire within our athletes. And who better to show us how to do that than one of the fiercest competitors in our sports history, and also someone who literally watches hundreds of games every year, observing and analyzing today's athletes. She's a two-time Olympic gold medalist, five-time Hall of Fame inductee, two-time Sportswoman of the Year, and world-renowned ESPN analyst, Michelle Smith. Welcome. Hello. It is uh, very exciting to be here. I love all things softball, of course, as you guys know, and as you mentioned, and um, just talking about the mentality of the game and the athletes, uh, it's right up my alley. Yes. So excited to have you. Yeah, we're really excited to have you. And again, thanks for your time. Um, We're going to get started with it. Um, We were just curious what you thought uh, the culture was like on each of your gold medal teams that you were a part of. That's an interesting question because um, we talk a lot about culture nowadays. If you think about our team back in uh, in 96, um, I don't know that we used the word culture a lot back then. It was more about what type of teammate are you, what kind of understanding um, does uh, each team member have of uh, you know the person standing to your left or your right? Uh, I would say that that 96 team, there was a, a culture of hard work, blue collar, um, excited to be the first, excited to represent the country, excited to represent the sport of softball that had never walked on to the Olympic uh, arena before. So I think there was um, a, a, a group of women 15 strong with three alternates that really had dedicated their lives. And timing wise, we were extremely fortunate to have the opportunity to, to step on that field. There were hundreds, probably thousands of other players before us that were just as good, but you know, really it was a different timing uh, of the sport, you know, didn't have the opportunity to, to live that Olympic dream. So I think for a lot of us, we had, uh, the ability to recognize that we were representing um, our sport, the history of our sport, uh, and not just not just our country. So I think that overall, we were a very close-knit team. We worked on uh, making sure that we represented ourselves the best way possible. Uh, and really, we were a little naive because we didn't know what was coming. So there were, it was, I, I would say from a culture standpoint, uh, there was a lot of diversity. <laughs> we had young athletes, we had older experienced athletes, uh, but ultimately we came together and we were fortunate to, um, to win that first gold medal in, um, in, in 96 in Atlanta. If you fast forward then four years to Sydney, uh, the team was a little bit different. Um, you know, I think half of us were on the 96 team. There were another half that were new to the program, new to the Olympic experience. It was the first time we are now participating in the Olympics outside of our country. So that 
came with a whole nother different set of circumstances that we had to learn and adjust to. But I would say the culture of that team was definitely different than it was of the, um, of, of the first team. And, and so we struggled a little bit at times. And you know how it is, as any sport kind of rises, there's more media, there's more attention, there's more eyes and knees and wants. And trying to get a team to stay together and focus on the right thing, which ultimately is the gold medal, can be tough. And, and we had our hiccups. You know, we lost three games in a row, but then we were the ultimate comeback story because every team that beat us, uh, you know, Japan, China, and Australia, we had to beat them in the medal round in order to win our second gold medal, and we did that. So it's a great question. Um, very diverse teams, I would say, in, in both rights uh, for 96 and 2000. Um, but it was definitely a, an honor to be a member of both of those, those programs. So cool. And I'm so glad now that more girls are going to get to experience that. We talk a lot about how, and every coach will say, Hey, we want to build strong young women on and off the field. So how did those experiences and the culture that it brought and what you fought through and what you accomplished, how did that inform who you are today? You know, playing on the Olympics, uh, playing in the Olympics on the Olympic field, uh, yeah, it was it's life changing. It, it definitely once you're called an Olympian, whether or not you know what color or type of medal that you win, uh, it changes your life because I think it, it ultimately gives you immediate respect within people in the business community, the sports community. They know you're the best of the best in your field. Uh, they know you've dedicated not just four years of your life, but probably many, many years of your life in order to get to that arena. Um, so it's like anything in life, you know, to be careful what you ask for because it, it can bring great joy and it can also, it also brings a lot of great sacrifice. And if you don't compartmentalize that correctly, mentally, emotionally, um, it, it can be, it can be tough to deal with at times. Um, and, and it's, you know, it's the same way in all aspects of, uh, the sport, even if you dial it back down to the NCAA level, uh, there's a lot of great athletes out there that think I'm good. I want to go play for the best of the best. And then they get on the field and they can't handle the pressure. All of a sudden the game's not as fun as it used to be. And, and those are serious conversations you have to have with yourself, with your parents, with your coaches. And, um, you know, I don't know, is it in your makeup? Are you born with that? Or do you develop it and learn it? Do you get used to playing in front of 15, 20,000 people and millions of people watching you? Um, some people, it doesn't bother them. Other people can never get comfortable. Uh, whether or not it's wearing an NCAA uniform or, or a USA softball uniform. So, you know, I, I think for me, I, I was extremely blessed to have the opportunities that I had, but I also feel a great uh, amount of um, not obligation because that sounds wrong. It sounds like, oh, you have to do it. But I feel a great deal of responsibility to give back, to share, to make a difference so that my legacy grows beyond just what I did on the softball field. I'm, I'm hoping mo- more people remember me for what I did off the field than on the field. You are well on that track. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. It sounds like your second Olympic experience, the culture had to be a little more intentionally, you know, uh, plugged into the things that you did versus the first, the first team you were on. Would you, would you say that was true? Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, for those of us that were in 96, we knew a little bit more what to expect uh, in our second Olympic experience. I think, for other athletes though, too, you know, sometimes people think, Oh, Olympics, you're all of a sudden going to make all this money. And, and, and that's not the case. I mean, it, you know, I think a lot of people get, um, it really depends on what you focus on and, and what you want the, you know, your, your ultimate outcomes to be. Is it, 
a medal? Is it fame and fortune? Is it, I mean, you could go down a list of priorities that, you know, are going to be different for every different person, athlete, coach. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the two teams were extremely different. And I think a lot of it was weighing expectations. That's part of uh, a team's culture as well Is that, you know, realistic expectations and, and knowing where everybody wants to be and what's important to, um, the great majority of the team and making sure that everybody is, is focused on the right things and, and the same things, because it's hard to have any successful team, culture, business, uh, company. If, if you're all over the map, if, if you don't have really good teammates all focused on the same thing. So I think the, you know, the biggest thing for me with formulating and developing and building cultures is just expectations of everybody and knowing really what's the end goal. Where do, where do we all as a unit and a team want to end up? That's very interesting because I think, I feel like today with that, with that emphasis on culture, there also has to be more intention in bringing it together. Uh, A lot has to do, I believe with, with just the athletes in general. And I'm sure that you've, You've probably witnessed this maybe over the course of your um, career in broadcasting because you get the opportunity to see so many teams. So I'm curious to to hear your outlook and your opinion on what you've seen from a cultural standpoint from the softball teams that you've seen from the broadcasting perspective. Well, you know, I think today's athletes are definitely um, – you know, I, I, it's like any sport, bigger, faster, stronger, you know, it's the Olympic model as well is that, you know, always striving to be better and get better. Um, but that doesn't mean that ment- mentally that some of these younger athletes are able to compete and keep up uh, with the mindset that they have to have and um, and buying into the culture of each particular team that they're on and understanding the sacrifice that that takes. Uh, I, I worry, I do worry a lot about the mentality of a lot of the uh, younger athletes today. And part of it's because of the way they're, they're they're raised and the system they grow up in. They they end up instead of playing in competitive tournaments where at the end of the tournament you're fighting to win a trophy to hoist it over your head. It's all about oh game game time a flat hour and fifteen minutes and it's exposure. And there are so many athletes that go to college nowadays that haven't played a sixth or a seventh inning in years and. I have this discussion with coaches all the time. If you don't know how to compete, it's hard to be really good at anything. You have got to be able to say, you know what? Yeah, that's my sister over there, but I, I want I'm going to take this win away from her. I want to you know, the, the whole mentality of being able to compete and get to that end stage. What is it that you want? I mean, ultimately, it's the goal. It's the Women's College World Series. It's the national championship. You know, and and then you know, living within those expectations. Because let's face it, not all you know. 200 and something teams are going to have the opportunity to really compete for that national championship. Um, so being realistic of all of it, but it's, it's really about developing our young athletes to have the mentality to be understand, to understand how to compete, whether or not it's for the SEC championship, a PAC 12 championship, a regional championship, a super regional championship, and of course the national championship. Yeah, we actually just had this conversation with a college coach on those top teams that you're talking about. And yeah, it's come to the point where they're having to train girls at 18 how yeah. to compete. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know, really, if you you think about it, uh, is it a softball thing? Is it a baseball thing? Is it a diamond sport thing? Is it a gender thing? I think by nature, boys are more competitive than girls. Um, but 
a lot of times girls in general, they love to practice. Boys love to play games. I think it's changing. I think the mentality of the female athlete is definitely changing, but it is interesting when you start looking at genders and you start looking at sports and, and how the sports uh, and the associations really are shaping the youth athlete nowadays. But I, I can definitely tell you there are a lot of top college coaches that really worry about uh, the, the mentality of kids, uh, not fearing failure, ability to bounce back, understanding what it's like to be competitive and, and actually the gravity of a game. You know, it's okay to lose. No, it's not. When I grew up, it wasn't okay to lose. And it certainly was not okay to give up a run. You know, if I gave up a run a game, I was quite upset, you know, to say, it politically correct. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we know what you really mean. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, I think a lot of it though, again, is um, what you get used to. I think the offensive explosion within the game is taking a lot of pressure off of pitchers, pitchers, you know, I, you know, if you give up a home run, a game, it's like not a big deal. I mean, for me, if I gave up a home run in a season, I was quite upset. So, you know, it's just the different mentality of the way, um, the game is approached nowadays and with more offense, it's allowed uh, the, the pitchers, I think, to, to have a different mindset. That's so true. And you hear the phrase now, like, it's okay not to be okay. And it's from a mental health perspective, but that is also from a competitor's perspective. Like, it's okay to be pissed that you just messed up. <laughs> it's okay to want to cry and bury your head in the sand when you made an error that cost your team a run. But it's not okay to give up and yeah. let yourself be overcome by it. Yeah. And, and I think it's, again, it's compartmentalizing and dealing with stuff. And, you know, I, I is it okay to for athletes to cry? It certainly happens when they're young and, you know, those emotions just burst out of their body. You know, we see it in Little League all the time um, because they're just not mentally, they don't have that emotional IQ yet to be able to rechannel that and, you know, be like, all right, that's it. My next at bat, I'm going to drive this ball right back up the middle after you know, maybe making an error or whatever. So, you know, as, as you see older athletes on the field, they should be able to, to manage those better. And maybe I'm just old school and a little bit hard nosed, but, um, I, I got, I, I, when I, when things didn't go well for me on the field, I didn't sulk about them. I didn't cry about them. I figured out a way to use that energy to, to make, make my next What's my next, my next better, my next pitch, my next at bat, my next cheer to my teammate, my next game, you know, to, to move it forward instead of focus on it and dwell on it and move it backwards. And, you know, I think uh, I say it all the time when I'm broadcasting on ESPN, in order to survive in the sport and thrive, not just survive, but thrive in the sport, you have got to have a mentality of fierceness, of competitiveness, of, um, of never giving up, of knowing that, uh, there's always the next and you have to have a short memory, no matter what you've done good, no matter what you've done bad. You know, you can't take that next, that, that last pitch back, you know, and always say, what's the most important, important pitch of the game. It's the next pitch. You know, you can't take back the pitch you threw 10 pitches ago or last inning, or even just the, the last pitch that you threw. It's, it's always the most important pitch is the next one you're throwing. So I'd like to talk to you a little bit about your time in Japan as a player. Mm -hmm. Could you kind of compare, you know, the culture 
from not only American softball to Japanese culture, but just in general from a mentality standpoint as well? Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's a great question because you look at the cultural differences between the societies and they absolutely cross over onto the ball field. And so when I first got over there, um, there was the mentality of uh, – Think about Japan. Uh, they're a country the size of California with half the population of the U.S., very densely populated. You are all about not sticking out, doing everything the same. You know, this is the Japanese way. This is how we do it. I once had an executive for Toyota tell me that a nail that ha- a nail that sticks out is a nail that gets hammered down. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I was like, I'm American. You didn't bring me over here to be Japanese. You brought me over here to be an American and to pitch and dominate. And uh, so it was interesting. There were definitely growing pains my first couple of years because I was fiery and I paid with a lot of emotion and energy and intensity and a lot of my teammates were um, were very reserved and, you know, you could almost say like little robots on the field that, you know, this is doing it in their, their Japanese way and just afraid to be expressive. And, and they'd see me be expressive and yell and cheer and get pumped up. And uh, at first I think it startled them. And then they started to realize and the fans started to realize, wow, this is really exciting. This is what I want to see. This is what I want to come back to. And all of a sudden our fan base was growing and my teammates, you know, were starting to really come out of their shell and they'd celebrate a great, um, great play. And there was emotion and excitement running off the, off the field. And when our team was doing it, other teams would see it and they started to do it. And it really was great to see the way that the, uh, the American style and the Japanese style definitely crossed over. And, and for, for sure, the Japanese taught me so much about my ability to compete, my ability to communicate, my ability to be a better teammate, to think outside of myself. As Americans in general, Westerners in general, we're very inward focused. We've, we think about how everything aff- affects us. The Japanese are the complete opposite. Like I just mentioned, they're half the population of the US in a country the size of California. They think about how they're affecting everybody else. So they're more outward looking like, what am I, what kind of teammate am I? Am I a bad neighbor? Am I too loud in my house? You know, all those sorts of things because they want to make sure that they're being as polite as possible. So learning for me to be a better teammate and understanding like, oh, maybe my shortstop's going through something. I need to stay after and work with her, you know, going into the five, six hole, or maybe she's not hitting the outside pitch very well. I'm going to, I'm going to pitch extra BP to her and let her work on her swing. And, you know, so being in Japan made me a better teammate. It made me look outside myself. It made me look outside of the game and see, see the game from not just my view and my competitor's view, my teammates view, the umpire's view, my coach's view. I think as an athlete, when you start to do that, you widen, your horizons and your views of the game, you start to become better. You start to see the game, the sport, the mentality of the sport, the culture of the sport and your teams better uh, because you see it in so many different eyes. And I think that I became the athlete that I became because of my time in Japan. I spent 16 years there and I loved every second of it. I have tremendous respect for the Japanese society, the Japanese uh, athletes, um, the culture. And I think uh, it, it, I was very blessed to have that opportunity to play over there. That is amazing. And I am very jealous. <laughs> <laughs> At first I wasn't so sure about the food, but you know what? I, I learned, I learned how to get around that and now I love sushi. So there you go. <laughs> girl. I love sushi. Um, so a point you made there, I think is super important for humans in general, but especially for athletes is the gaining perspective. 
So for anyone who doesn't have the opportunity to play for Toyota, (laughs) uh, what are some ways that you would suggest athletes and even coaches get out of their own, our own little bubbles and gain some perspective? Um, you know, I think just getting out of your comfort zone, it's, you know, I've always said to athletes and I kind of lived like this as an athlete myself, almost in a way coaching myself is it's, you know, you got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And the more you're uncomfortable, the more you're going to grow. And, you know, if you're always doing the same thing by default, you're staying the same and everybody else around you is getting better. You're going backwards. So for me, it was always learning new things, trying new things. Is it jumping across the world and living in a new culture? Yeah, that was really uncomfortable. Um, You know, so I think coaches nowadays share as the United States, we're so blessed. We have great fields. We have all the gear in the world that we want. We have access to so much stuff. Get outside of our country, go, go around the world and, and teach the game, grow the game. There, there are women in other parts of the world that would, I mean, they would give anything just to have a field to play on um, more or less even, you know, some of the fields and stadiums that we have. So I, I think it's just the ability to leave the world and leave our sport a better place than, than what it is when, when you're playing it or when you're announcing it or coaching it and just, you know, continuing to make a difference, give back, you know, the, the, again, not the obligation, but the, also the responsibility to uh, just continue to, to grow opportunities for girls, for women, for the sport, uh, and, and just, you know, for the, for the game and make a difference. Michelle, what kind of tips, um, kind of fast forwarding to helping softball coaches here, what kind of tips do you think you would give softball coaches to help them really work on developing mentally tough teams with these strong cultures? I would say, uh, challenging your kids every single practice, put them in the worst possible scenarios, situations, and make them get out of it and, and and tell them that, you know what, you're going to you're going to have setbacks. I I don't always like to use the word failure. Failure is a big word on our vocabulary, right? So how else do you say it? Setbacks. I've used setbacks as setups, setups for something better. If you're, if you're struggling, if you're whatever the word you want to use, having a setback, having failure, if you're struggling, those are all learning opportunities. That's making you better. Just, you know, continuing to always do good. People don't get out of sight of their comfort zone and it builds complacency a lot of times. So I would say anytime you can, as a coach, you got to really put those kids on the line so that they're challenged every single day, every single skill to the point of where they have to try to figure it out. And once they figure it out, they realize that the figuring it out is the success. And ultimately that's going to lead them to being a better athlete. So it's kind of like anything. It's like you want to bend them. You don't want to break them. And the more you bend them and the the more of an arc you can get on them, the, the better they're going to snap back before they break. Right. So, or, or you could use a, a rubber band as an example, you know, you stretch that rubber band as far as you can before it breaks. Right. And so that when you snap it, you get the furthest amount of distance from it. So it really is individual to each athlete and individual to each team, knowing how far can you push, how far can you really challenge this athlete to get the most out of them. And it's transparency. It's talking to your kids and saying, this is what I'm doing. I love you. I care about you. There's nobody and nothing more important than this player, than you guys as players in this team. But this is what I'm going to do. 
this is my job. My job is to, to help make us the best team as possible. And guess what? The best team is made and comprised of the best athletes possible. And when I challenge you, I'm doing it because I care about you guys. I'm not doing it because I'm, you know, I'm being a jerk. So it's that, it's that good cop, bad cop. It's working together on both sides to really formulate um, the, the strongest, most physical and mentally um a complete athlete that you can and, 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 and telling these kids, because it's hard sometimes with your type A's and your overachievers that never want to fail. They just always have to be in that, you know, they never want to compete unless they're at their, and I had a lot of Olympic teammates that were like that. They only wanted to compete if they were a hundred percent. If they even had the littlest bit of an injury, they didn't want to be out there. You know, I pitched on a broken foot. I've, you know, I had a almost was killed in a car accident. My arm was almost chopped off. I still came back and pitched. So for me, it was just opportunity to get out there and play and compete with the best of what I had and, and the mentality and being strong enough to understand that. So how do you develop that? How do you build that? You make your kids play in the rain, obviously not when it's lightning. Okay. So a little disclosure there, right? <laughs> but you put them in situations where make them practice in the rain. So that one day when you have to play in the rain, you're used to it. Make them pitch with the worst possible balls in the bucket, not the best balls, the worst possible balls. Make them pitch to an umpire that has no outside corner. And uh, you know what I'm saying? Basically challenge them, put them in every worst case scenario as possible so that when it pops up in the game, they're like, yeah, I got this. I've been there. I've, I've competed through this. And I, I know that I have the confidence to get through it. So I, th I think it's all about challenging them, loving them, but also pushing them to the point where uh, they understand that, that you're going to get the most out of them. I love this so much. Okay. Coaches pause, rewind, replay <laughs> at least two times. Um, so that's awesome. And that's what we preach all the time on this podcast is you, yes, you need to be positive and you need to show your players that you care about them while also challenging them. I think that balance is the magic of the best coaches. Absolutely. Do Absolutely. you have an example of a coach that it is for you? So here's a, it's kind of a funny story, but yeah, absolutely. So I didn't start to pitch until I was, um, 15 years old and I was a sophomore in high school and my pitching coach, um, Betty Zwingraff, uh, who played women's major fast pitch herself and then had a back injury. She went on to coach at the College of Staten Island and just extremely intellectual woman and um, really taught me pitching from a, a scientific standpoint, um, at, you know, which was good for me because I was, you know, kind of a gearhead. I loved, you know, I took physics and all the things like trying to figure out why things happen and it made me a better pitcher. But again, starting so late as a sophomore, I had a lot of catching up to do. So, and where I grew up in New Jersey, there, there wasn't J.O. ball, especially back when I grew up. I mean, there was, uh, it was all women's major fast pitch. So at, you know, 16 years old, 17 years old, I was pitching against the Ray Bestis breakettes. I was pitching against the Dot Richardsons and the, um, you know, Barbara Naldas and Kathy Aronsons. And, you know, we're talking women that were 10 years older than I was out of college. And here I am, this like little kid from New Jersey, well, big kid from New Jersey, just uh, <laughs> trying to figure it out. Um, <laughs> so, but this is how she challenged me. This was, this was hilarious. So we were getting ready to play the Ray Bestis Breakettes. And she looks at me and she goes, um, Michelle, um, I, I want you to wear shin guards while you're pitching today. I was like, what? shin guards. And, and I'm not talking like soccer shin guards. She wanted me to wear like catcher's shin guards. And this is, this is back in the day when even a lot of catchers didn't wear shin guards. They just wore knee pads and a chest protector, you know, cause they oh had God. such great skill work. I was like, 
I was so flabbergasted that I was like, I'm going to show her the, I, I am going to show her, you know, and uh, I went out there. I think I lost by one run in the seventh inning um, on an air in the outfield. And I mean, had this magical game because I was like, oh, shin guards ha! <laughs> and throw a pitch. <laughs> she wants me to wear shin guards. Woo! Throw another pitch. I was, I swear, I must have said that to myself every single pitch. <laughs> um, but, uh, it, but it was great. And even, even before my, my very first high school season, she came up, uh, cause I played basketball as well. And asked, after one of my big basketball games, you know, this was about two weeks before the season, she looked at me and looked at my dad and said, you know, Michelle, I just, I don't think you're ready yet. I don't think you should, should pitch, you know, probably the first half of the season. And I was like, what? You know, I'm thinking to myself, are you crazy? I've, I've pitched every day after field hockey practice. I've pitched every day after basketball practice. I, you know, so again, those two weeks, I was like, I was double timing it. I was like, I'm going to be ready. I'm going to show her, you know, she was just awesome. <laughs> she knew just what buttons to push to be like, Whoop! you know, to kind of set me back enough to be like, I'm going to show her. You just watch. <laughs> um but I also had other coaches too. Roger Dawes, who was an incredible coach for the um, for the Reading Rebels, who who we were uh, we were big um, opponents against the Ray Bestis Breakettes and the California Commotion, and yeah, I definitely have been challenged many many times in my life. And again, that, that's where uh, that's where um, you get the best out. You you know, I always say run toward adversity, run toward the hard aspects of life, because that's really what makes you better. That's when you find out what you're truly made of. And, and to be honest, it wasn't always coaches that challenged me. When I first went to Japan, being a gaijing or being a foreigner, an outsider, um, I was challenged by the umpires. I never got calls. So I had to figure out a way to work around the umpires. I had to figure out a way to take them out of the game. Uh, and I figured that, you know what, if a batter swings and misses or a batter fouls off a ball, it's a strike. It doesn't, I, I'm taking the umpire out of the game. And so I literally, I had, I had my rain game plan because we would throw and we would play ball in the pouring rain. I had my bad umpire plan. Um, and, and I, I pitched different ways depending on what was going on in the game in order to survive in order to ultimately come out with that win. It's really funny that you brought up the idea of coaches practicing in the rain because mm -hmm. I will I will forever have that one game where I'm coaching. I'm coaching my high school team here in Michigan and I've never I've practiced in the rain before but not pouring rain because as you know most games are always canceled or called off on rain. So right. we had a state semifinal where it was pouring rain and they they made us play through it. Yeah. And I will forever have that as my lesson because my kids weren't prepared. Uh, and neither was I to handle the situation and to handle that because you just didn't think it would happen. So that was the one right. lesson I think that I, it's a, one of those horrible lessons to learn because we ended up losing. But um, it's interesting that you brought that up because I, I've also heard of other college coaches, even if it's a bright sunny day, they will dunk those balls into water and say, yeah. okay, pitchers throw. And I think that that's such valuable advice and information for coaches to just, you've got to put them through those tough practices in order for them to be able to perform in games. Yeah, absolutely. And it's the same thing with hitters. Hitters need to be able to learn how to mm -hmm. hit a, a, a pitch off the plate, you know, and they can't always expect, um, you know, that strikes are only going to called over the play. I mean, you've got to be able to, to, you know, reach outside what you think the normal limits of the game are, the normal limits you are as you as an athlete. Cause again, that's truly where the growth is. I think the key here also is let them figure it out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I know fellow control freak here. Yeah. Uh, I want to like, here, here's some tips. Here's what you should do. Here's an idea. Like, no, zip it. 
just let them work through it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, today, a lot of today's kids are, are, you know, they're raised with helicopter parents who want to swoop in and protect them and take mm-hmm. care of everything for them. And you don't, you don't really get the most out of any aspect of your life when that happens. When someone is always enabling you, you're, you're never going to learn to be the best. When you finally are like, all right, and I would say my, I'd say this to myself all the time, Michelle, put your big girl pants on. Come on now, it's time to go, you know, and be like, nobody's going to swoop in and and take care of you here in Japan or here in the middle of the Olympic games. It's like, literally I will, there are times I stand at the back of the mound and be like, all right, here we go. It's, it's time to bring it. You've worked hard for, you've worked four years for this moment, you know, and Mm -hmm. And I do, I, you literally have to have those conversations with yourself. And that's why self-talk is so important for athletes. It's not just, you know, the noise of your teammates and maybe your coaches and stuff. It's that what, what's, what's your own internal voice saying to yourself and, you know, what are you able to motivate yourself to do and to get out of uh, every pitch, every hit, every, every, every game that you're in. Guys, I just figured out how I'm going to become a millionaire. I'm going to bottle up Michelle Smith's self-talk and sell it in tiny little earbuds. Yes. <laughs> Shin guards. <laughs> Shin guards. Are you kidding me? <laughs> That's funny. I think too, as coaches, we can overcoach and instead of letting them figure out. And I just, I, I'm, I'm visiting Texas. I'm here this week and I observed a practice yesterday and there was a JV coach out there hitting ground balls and they were running relays and he was calling out everything. He was calling out where the pitcher should line up, what base to go to, and not really allowing the kids to actually figure it out and work through it themselves and allowing them to make mistakes. And I think that as coaches as well, allowing your kids to make mistakes is okay. That's how they learn, right? But encourage encourage the process of learning and giving them those opportunities in practice as well is really critical. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think at times too, it's amazing when you have practices and you realize how big communication is, right? I talk about that Mm -hmm. all the time when I'm broadcasting, Mm -hmm. if I see some teams that aren't communicating. Um, It's interesting. You've run a practice where nobody can talk, no communication, nobody can talk. Everyone just has to figure it out for themselves. It's interesting Mm -hmm. to see what people then are how, how are relays lining up? You know, who's going in the five, six hole? Who's, you know, are you going, runner on first. So you, are you trying to get the lead runner? You know, it's, it's interesting when you challenge athletes and you take away one aspect of the game, what it really brings out in them. Uh, and, and then also makes them realize how, how important it is when they actually can communicate that they communicate the right way. But yeah, I, I definitely agree that there are so many coaches that, that over communicate over, try to do things and the athletes never figure it out. And, and that's when, again, I think they become more robotic instead of, understanding the nuances of the game. The best athletes in the game are reactionary. How do you learn to react? By doing it, not by a coach telling you by doing it. And that's why I always say, if a coach tells you, you have to process that, you have to think it, right? If you're an athlete and you're truly um, at that point where you're um, at that competency level of it just comes, you know, it's just fluid off of your body, you're, you're just doing it. It's all reactionary. And it's why I say all the time, if you're thinking, you're stinking, because if you mm-hmm. have, if you're thinking in this game, it's, the, it's too late. The moment's passed. You've got to be able to react to this game. Absolutely. I, I always tell my catcher when we're running, for example, relay drills, this is all you, you call it out. I want you to go with your first call. I want you to not hesitate. Even if your first call is wrong, even if the girl ends up being safe at third and maybe you should have thrown home. I want you to make a mistake here and I want you to react and I want you to make your decision with confident and not hesitate. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Mel just texted me. She has um, 
she has a young child who is screaming in the background. So yeah. she is muted right now. But I did want to ask you, Michelle, thank, first of all, again, thank you so much for your time. But secondly, is there anything else you'd like to add when it comes to helping our coaches and our audience um, help coach the mental part of the game or anything else that uh, you would like to share? I think um, it's important, you know, women and communicate differently than men communicate. So depending on if you're a male coach or a female coach and um, obviously coaching, you know, female athletes, I think it's important to let the athletes have a voice, talk about things. And at, at the beginning of every practice in Japan and at the end of every practice in Japan, we met as a team and, and the captain would always ask, does anyone have anything to say? But before practice and after practice. And there were times before practice where some athletes would be like, um, whatever, for example, uh, you know, my foot's bothering me, so I'm going to work hard. But if I, if I'm not going hard for a ball up the middle says the second baseman, uh, please understand why, you know, again, letting people know at the end of practice, um, you know, some of the athletes might say like, you know, at, at the beginning of practice, I was really struggling on the inside, inside pitch, but I, I worked really hard on it. Took an extra 300, you know, balls off the tee. And by the end of practice, I was feeling better and felt like I could, could really get extended on the inside pitch. So I, th I think communicating, finding ways to let athletes have a voice, um, and, and talk to the team and explain themselves, um, without being judged is super important. And I, I really thought that was one of the best things that, uh, that the Japanese, um, and that our, we did as a team is that it was that open dialogue and there was understanding. And because of that, uh, it made a big difference. So I, I would suggest that, um, you know, for coaches to, to really, you know, figure out what your style is, but then also allow your athletes to have their voice, uh, within the team. Such good stuff. We want to be mindful of your time. So thank you again, so much. And I want one time at the end, I want you to be able to share all the good stuff you've going on. I know you've got your own website and you do a ton of things. You got the St. Pete Clearwater Invitational coming up. Right. Uh, anything you want our listeners to look out for? Um, yeah, I, well, I do have a website. I'm actually in the process of redoing it right now, but it's michellesmith.com. And it's uh, Michelle with one L, M-I-C-H-E-L-E, smith.com. Uh, um, also, yes, a very big part of the, uh, ESPN invite that's coming up here in Clearwater, St. Pete. And so excited, you know, that's huge for our sport. It's finally, it's television, uh, televised softball in February. So that means that they are making softball priority in February when it's basketball season. That just is tremendous for our sport. It just shows where the opportunities are going for, for, for the girls that play the sport. And, um, those of us that are, are in the sport, male and female, um, coaches, you name it, SIDs on and on. There's so many opportunities. So I'm, and then I think the last thing is just I sit on a lot of charity boards. I just think it's important for people to always remember to give back. There's always people that need your help and, um, you can make a difference. Uh, and there's a lot of people that need help out there. So don't forget to, to make a difference and to give back. And that is a wrap for today. To keep up with Michelle and see if she's speaking or running a clinic near you, head to michellesmith.com. That's Michelle with one L. You can also follow her on social media at michellesmith32. And if you love this episode, we'd truly appreciate it if you shared it with your friends who also want to develop fierce competitors. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please feel free to reach out to me at mel at mentalsweetspot.com. Shoot me a message on Twitter at Coach Mel Rushing or join our free Facebook group, Mental Sweet Spot Coaches Club. To stay informed of each new episode, for example, the winning softball coaching staff next episode, and get an intro to coaching the mental game, including our dream team assessment, you can sign up for our email list at mentalsweetspot.com. Thanks again for joining us and have a great day.